Hello again, everybody. This is uh, Jason Powers. Hopefully, I'm not overdriving the mic, but I'll, I'll have to back off here a second. So today, we're going to discuss a couple of things with uh, Project Veritas, and um, uh, Bannon is going to review us with uh, Taiwan and China. I think it's important to realize that uh, we are definitely facing uh, external and internal threats. And it's good to, to kind of pair those together on a uh, mid-November afternoon. And right now, I'm just uh, trying to work on a few things. I want to thank uh, Chris for the mic I got. I might have to turn this down a little bit. Let's see how that goes. So, so I don't overdrive the mic. I'm trying to stand back away from it a little bit. And then Alan, of course... Uh, Helping me or assisting me on my mic, uh, mic uh, usage. Not being a, being so loud and talking in a normal voice. So, anyways, uh, we're going to first start off with uh, James O'Keefe here in a second. Um, it's always interesting when you look back uh, where you were ten years ago or five years ago and reflect where we are today. I would have never thought that um, the First Amendment would be under such attack and that we'd have so many people um, working in our government to not be, um, I would say, um, interested in the liberties that our forefathers spared us. And this is going on around the world and it needs to be addressed in a calm and rational manner. I'd also like to say that uh, most of us are going to have to make a decision at some point. Where do we stand on our liberties and what would be the best way to address them? So without further ado, we'll let uh, James O'Keefe, uh, he gives a six-minute speech here and I'll let him do his talking. I am putting myself at great risk because on November 4th, Project Veritas came under attack. I woke to the news that apartments and homes of Project Veritas journalists, or former journalists, had been raided by FBI agents. It appears the Southern District of New York now has journalists in their sights for the supposed crime of doing their jobs lawfully and honestly, or at least this journalist. I had to think long and hard before making this statement. It's a decision that only I can make. They don't want me to defend myself and immediately try to silence me. That's why the cover letter to the grand jury subpoena we received contains this language. Quote, the government hereby requests that you voluntarily refrain from disclosing the existence of the subpoena to any third party. While you are under no obligation to comply with our request, we are requesting you not to make any disclosure in order to preserve the confidentiality of the investigation and because the disclosure of the existence of this investigation might interfere with and impede the investigation, unquote. But while the Department of Justice requested us to not disclose the existence of the subpoena, something very unusual happened. Within an hour of one of our reporters' homes being secretly raided by the FBI, the New York Times, who we are currently suing for defamation, contacted the Project Veritas reporter to ask for comment. We do not know how the New York Times was aware of the execution of a search warrant at a reporter's home or the subject matter of the search warrant 
as a grand jury investigation is secret. The FBI took materials of current former Project Veritas journalists, despite the fact that our legal team previously contacted the Department of Justice and voluntarily conveyed unassailable facts that demonstrate Project Veritas's lack of involvement in criminal activity and or criminal intent. Like any reporter, we regularly deal with the receipt of source information and take steps to verify its authenticity, legality, and newsworthiness. Our efforts are the stuff of responsible, ethical journalism, and we are in no doubt that Project Veritas acted properly at each and every step. However, it appears journalism itself may now be on trial. Late last year, we were approached by tipsters claiming that a copy of Ashley Biden's diary. We had never met or heard of the tipsters. The tipsters indicated that the diary had been abandoned in a room in which Ms. Biden stayed at the time, and in which the tipsters stayed in temporarily after Ms. Biden departed the room. The tipsters indicated that the diary included explosive allegations against then-candidate Joe Biden. The tipsters indicated that they were negotiating with a different media outlet for the payment of money for the diary. Tipsters were represented by attorneys who handled the negotiations with Project Veritas. We investigated the claims provided to us as journalists do. We took steps to corroborate the authenticity of the diary. At the end of the day, we made the ethical decision that because, in part, we could not determine if the diary was real, if the diary, in fact, belonged to Ashley Biden, or if the contents of the diary occurred, we could not publish the diary in any part thereof. We attempted to return the diary to an attorney representing Ms. Biden, but that attorney refused to authenticate it. Professor Veritas gave the diary to law enforcement to ensure it could be returned to its rightful owner. We never published it. Now, Ms. Biden's father's Department of Justice, specifically the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, appears to be investigating the situation, claiming the diary was stolen. We don't know if it was, but it begs the question, in what world? is the alleged theft of a diary investigated by the president's FBI and his Department of Justice. A diary. This federal investigation smacks of politics. Project Veritas never threatened or engaged in any illegal conduct. Should the Southern District of New York try to take away our First Amendment rights and uncover and publish newsworthy stories without government intimidation, be assured Project Veritas will not back down. Nothing stops at Project Veritas. Let me be clear. Our mission is to serve the public's right to know by illuminating, revealing, exposing information others wish to hide for the wrong reasons. To quote Lord Acton, we believe everything kept in secret degenerates. We don't mislead or conceal. We investigate facts and potential newsworthy information. Sometimes, as was the case here, after we investigate, we decide not to publish a news story. The Project Veritas will run for nothing, and we will hide for nothing. We exist for the very purpose of discovering and revealing the truth, and hope to make the world a more transparent place. Now, this is not the first time we have been attacked, and it will not be the last. We know why. We've investigated powerful people, and in many ways, we are the very tip of the sphere. But we never break the law. In fact, one of our ethical rules is to act as if there are 12 jurors on our shoulders all the time. And that truth, and the truth, will vindicate us. When the FBI in the Southern District of New York sees reporters' notebooks, it is not just an attack on Project Veritas. It is an attack on every American and our sacred right to free speech and a free press. 
The First Amendment is first for a reason. It guarantees all the other rights that follow. Because it's all about accountability. Without accountability, freedom itself is an illusion. So the great question is, is this an indicator in the direction that America is going? We've gone far beyond the point of partisan politics in this country. They ask us to focus on our divisions. They don't ask us to focus on the things which unite us. What unites us is so much more powerful than what divides us. The First Amendment doesn't just matter to people on one side. It matters to people on all sides. That is why I'm calling on all Americans, especially all journalists, to stand with us for the right to free speech and the free press, and to send a message that the politics of fear will not prevail in the United States of America. So there you go. And, and of course, this week we have a uh, case over the Second Amendment uh, with the Rittenhouse case. Uh, we have a prosecutor that is doing much of the same thing that the DOJ is doing by um, suggesting that people can't defend themselves. Um, it was quite amazing that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse took the stand for you know, in his own accord. I think he did well considering the circumstances. Uh, the prosecutor has been more than more than found to be lacking. He's just unethical, and, and I think he'll he would do anything to win a case. And when you're a prosecutor, you're willing to do anything, and in, including uh, lie or mislead the public into believing certain things. Uh, this is where we this is where we are at so far because this is what's been going on for the last several years. And to switch uh, switch uh, gears here a little bit, we're going to go to uh, War Rooms uh, on uh, Saturday. And Stephen Bannon, who has been recently indicted by a, <laughs> by the DOJ, of all things, uh, based upon uh, a January 6th committee that just wants to harass normal Americans and then and, uh, investigate... Um, through any means necessary. They don't really care what they're showing me the man. They'll show you the crime. So, uh, but this is a segment based upon uh, the doctrine that is going on between uh, China and uh, the United States over Taiwan. We'll let him uh, let, uh, first we'll let uh, Kirby from the Department of uh, Defense, I think he is, or Department of State. He uh, opens and then uh, Bannon has on Sam Pattis to do a discussion of it. The climate or China? I, I think uh, we get paid to examine all the threats to our national security. Um, and I don't know that it uh, does anybody uh, good to put some sort of relative analysis assessment on that. Uh, you've heard the secretary talk about the climate uh, as a, a, a real and existential national security threat. And it is not just to the United States, but to countries all over the world. And we consider China as the Pacing challenge for the department. Both are equally important. Pacing challenge. So Steve will go into it further. I just it's it's quite interesting the linguistic bullshit that they've been spewing lately out of uh, out of Washington to to try to not piss off China because of course Joe Biden is in China's back pocket, but uh, and then also Biden has well he has so many people with strings on him. He doesn't know he. He's a multiple, he's a diversified marionette. 
Okay, welcome back. This is the second part of our uh, Saturday show. This is our special on the coming war over Taiwan. And I, I got it with Blake Kirby's. That was Admiral Kirby's, the spokesman now back, uh, I think, at the State Department. Oh, no, excuse me, he's back at the Pentagon. He's been the State Department, Pentagon, all over. He's a former Navy admiral. In this segment, we've got, we're going to have Peter Navarro, we've got Boris Epstein, and I want to start with Sam Faddis, who basically served his country at the CIA, wrote an amazing book about the decline and fall of the CIA. Um, but as a career intelligence officer, and I had to bring him in because this one blows my head up. You know, this week we've had this move. As, as Miles Guo told us for years, this was where she actually starts to now officially in the apparatus consolidate power, more power than Mao Zedong had. Because now every element of the Chinese state, he's chairman of the Communist Party, he's the head of state, and now he's essentially the commander in chief of the military. Right? And even Mao didn't have all those official titles. But he's consolidated this. At the same time, they start a financial collapse in the, in the real estate business, which is only going to drive bigger problems domestic, which are going to have to strike out internationally to be able to, you know, jack up hypernational and get people's notes come up in a global wag the dog. But Sam, here's the problem I got. And here's the problem I got with the name. You know, we spent a trillion dollars a year on this. And we got this intelligence review that every, every week I'm seeing G. Willikers, wow, hypersonic missiles, G. Willikers, wow, Harry Balogers, wow. They're, they're like completely caught by surprise on everything the Chinese Communist Party is doing. And yet we have Rear Admiral Kirby who's saying, yes, climate change is an existential threat. And if not an existential threat, us to the entire world. So it's not even our security. We think, it. But, but the CCP, when it's a straight question, the Chinese Communist Party, they're a wait for it pacing challenge. And that means why you got to buy more arms against, you know, that, that's just a defense contractor's wet dream, a pacing challenge. Sam Faddis, help me out here. What, what, what gobbledygook is Kirby trying to sell? And what's reality, sir? You know, Steve, I'm tempted to just say he's an idiot and leave it at that because he's clearly wrong on everything. But, you know, that would obviously diminish the significance of what's really happening here. I mean, we are face to face with maybe the greatest threat this republic has ever faced, the communist Chinese. They are not a pacing threat. They are an existential threat and a seeking world domination. And unfortunately, the reality is that we have, at this point, a government that is filled with people completely co-opted by the enemy. So Dewey Clarish, the director of operations of CIA, famously sent a cable to DC once that said, please confirm headquarters still in friendly hands. He was being sarcastic. We should ask the same question about all of DC in a serious vein today. Dr. Clarich is the revered head of the clandestine services. And man, do we need to do a Clarich now? I've got to ask you, Sam, since you spent your career there, this is one of the things that concerns me most is not just the DOD, but why is it that our intelligence apparatus that we spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year on? Please help me in the audience understand why are we always caught by surprise about what's happening with China? They're all over the Ukraine and they're all over Russians making moves and everything. Why is China, the Chinese Communist Party, which is clearly and obviously the greatest threat this republic has ever faced externally, why do they continually seem like they're surprised 
whether it's cyber war, information war, economic war, or even potential for kinetic war? Why are they always surprised? Yeah, because our intelligence apparatus is is broken. And to bring it down to a focus on CIA that I know best, but I've worked with the rest of them as well. You know, you don't any longer have operators running up recruiting spies. We go through the phase where we replace them with bureaucrats, and now we have to replace them with ideologues who are focused on what's going on inside the capital city of our own country. I mean, when two years after the beginning of the pandemic, the entire intelligence community, the best they can tell you about the coronavirus is we don't know where it came from. When bio warfare is at the top of our collection of priorities and China is our number one threat, we don't know how this happened two years later. So we're broken. There's a lot of good men and women yet, the rank and file at the senior levels. We need to get a big room and clean the place out. So let's start talking. Let's talk about that. We're going to get to Boris here in a second on his, his column of Newsweek. To talk about what can this possibly do? What, what, what's your action plan that we need as a Trump movement, as a concern? We don't make these mistakes again. What are the one or two things that you think we need to do immediately to be able, from the intelligence apparatus, to understand and us as a nation to confront it, the Chinese Communist Party? Well, you got to fix the intelligence community, which means that you have to put in charge people who enjoy the complete support of the President of the United States. I'm not talking about Joe Biden. I'm talking about a, a president coming after him, let's say Donald Trump. They have his complete authority to do whatever is necessary. And they have to understand enough about the intelligence community to know how it works and what is broken. And that means they got to go in and fire as many people as they need to fire. I'm not talking about having a quota of heads on polls. Just look, we're going to go back to doing business intelligence collection. We're going to do whatever it takes. You can get with the program or you can get out. That's how this works. And start running operations again and collect it. It is doable. It is not impossible. It can be done. We just got to go back to the business of doing it. And that sounds about right. That's a good place to stop there. Um, yeah. It's going to take a lot of hard work, and it's going to take a lot of people. He said, you know, you don't need heads on poles, but it's not just the intelligence apparatus, which is an enormous entity between not only the CIA, but the NSA, and, um, ICE, the, the Border Control, the DEA. Most of these places are over there. <clears throat> Too many, too many, uh, too much dead weight, and all these uh, particular bureaucracies uh, that don't do their job. That are there for uh, middle managers who push papers that uh, are more interested in, in in ancillary or even just total irrelevancy uh, to what. I mean, it's it's quite an amazing feat. And we spend, I guess, upwards of about seventy five billion dollars. On, on the Department of Homeland Security, and yet we have an unsafe border with thousands of people trekking apart, uh, trekking across it every day, and no one's doing anything about it. We started to build uh, a wall, and it didn't get completed, uh, mainly due to the fact that uh, they stopped it as soon as Joe Biden came in, but we know Joe Biden's a traitor. And nobody down there has, seems to have any... any um, 
guess you could say fortitude to just go ahead and do the job and defy federal orders. Because at some point or another, that's what's going to happen because these people are are uh, Marxists. They're, I don't even know if they're even smart enough to be. Uh, uh, <laughs> they are ideologues, but they're not smart enough to actually uh, finish the job. They're weasels. They're beholden to other forces. They're corrupt as hell. And, and he knows this too. So, he, you know, he didn't go down that road. But yeah, he's like clean house. Yeah, there's probably somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of the people who have no particular function other than just get in the way, especially at the administrative level. They they defy all logic. That's the reason why they're looking in, inside D.C. or they're trying to focus on some internal struggle that's going on. Yeah, the internal struggle that they've created. So they're putting us all at range, uh, putting the world at great risk. They're putting the United States at great risk. They have no concept of what's going on. They think that the enemies outside of the United States are just sitting idly by. These people are going to destroy this country and they're going to destroy the freedoms of the world because these people are just too up their own ass to even realize that uh, um, the people they're playing with are not playing. They're, they're in it for keeps. And they may think that they have enough military uh uh, armaments and weapons, but so did France in, in 19, uh, 1940 when it came to facing Germany, and then they were beaten in six weeks, and France had the largest standing army, they had the Maginot Line, and yeah, it's a whole other different time and place with uh, different tools and mechanism, but, you know, there's been many people who have made the same kind of comparison that uh, we're, uh, we're operating in an old, slow an un, un um, I would say, <laughs> undirected way by an old, slow, and irrelevant human being. And Joseph Biden, I mean, he's just as worthless as they come, and he doesn't have, he doesn't have anybody's. He has no, uh, he doesn't care one iota about the American people. The people around him that are pulling his strings want to destroy this country. The funny thing is, is if the if they don't have a, uh, they better have a parachute out of this country because, frankly, uh, if they get caught in the wash, it, it will be epic to see what gets done to them. <clears throat> and granted, that may be a long way off, but uh, you never know. You never know what the inciting event will be. Uh, there's economic collapse that's coming um, between the inflation between the the financial crisis over in China, with uh, their their real estate market, our own particular problems with real estate and and what we're doing to our supply chain and just ruining it and wrecking it and putting in policies that are, are meant to hamstring it on purpose. Everything's being done on purpose. The energy policies that this country has uh, turned off three three million barrels of oil per day, driving up gas prices. Uh, making people, you know, putting people in a crisis situation for no unearthly reason than out of spite. And honestly, they're doing this out of spite. I think they want to, they're creating the internal, uh, they're trying to create the internal crisis so that, that they can blame something other than themselves because that's what they're after. They're after this uh, cloud pivot. Uh, let's gin up a, a situation, make it so people are so incredibly stressed out between that and then the mandates and 
and the vaccine and the, the policy structures. And this is also, you know, this is actually falls back on the courts. The courts had better do their start doing their damn job. They need it, and there have been some rulings, but rulings are nothing if it gets to the Supreme Court. We have the flaky people that are on that court don't do their job. They need to not only do they need to rule to secure people's individual re, uh, um, freedoms, they need to make a statement, literally a statement to this administration that says not only is this administration violating the law, this administration is violating the Constitution. Put it in, put it down in very bold terms that Congress should be doing their job too, and holding this administration to great account because they're not doing their job, and everybody needs to know that. And the liberals need to be uh, need to be uh, schooled in that that particular situation. There was some. Uh, sorry, my voice is probably going to go early, but uh, yeah, there was some. There's. People writing lots of uh, opinion pieces about uh, this court, this country is being divided. Uh, that there's no there's no discussion with certain forces outside of uh, outside of the red states, uh, the liberal cities, liberal towns. I don't even like to even call them liberal towns, but the lockdown. We'll just call them the totalitarian collectivist mindset. They live in a different world. They live a different idea. They don't. They don't care about human rights. They don't care about civil rights. They just care about their quest for power, um, and that's going on around the world too. There's forces in Europe have been like this. There's many people. That, there's deluded people that live over there that are former Americans that live in the European, and they think it's such a great place. Or at least there's at least one person I've watched on Twitter make that kind of statement. It's kind of funny. Some of these people are just, uh, honestly, they, they just view a different world. They don't seem to understand what's going on in any way, shape, or form. They think that this is just hunky-dory. And, um, but then again, it comes with a lack of, uh, you know, training and assessment. Like Faddis is uh, actually playing out here with the CIA. So we're going up on uh, coming up on thirty minutes. I'm gonna try to make this a short broadcast um, today. You know, it's uh, middle of November. I was thinking back ten years ago where I was and what I was, uh, you know, experiencing. Um, I just uh, lost my mother a few months prior to that. In uh, well, her uh, her funeral was on July first of uh, twenty eleven. And it was the first, I guess you could say, major holiday, which actually was a reminder of uh, only a year prior, um, the day before Thanksgiving, she had emergency brain surgery. And so it was my first holiday without her in my life. Um, and, um, and I was I had just uh, gone through a, a, a hectic year of uh, taking care of her uh, between... Um, a hospice uh, or a veterans home, uh, bringing her home and uh, uh, caring for her, bringing actually to a apartment that I'd found, and I, I took care of her for a period of months, and up till up through late May, basically Memorial Day, and then her last month was uh, spent at, at a hospice, uh, Unity Hospice, and in, in um, Illinois, uh, as her her uh, mental. And uh, ability to 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 fight 
declined substantially, and it was it was a twenty four hour situation, and I wasn't able to carry through with uh, taking care of for the entire route. And then I changed my um, I changed my plans. I decided actually at that time to go back to school. I applied quickly to go to Purdue University again. This time to, I was actually attempting to get back into graduate school, but I needed a first proof that I could actually get some decent grades because I didn't do well in my uh, undergraduate when I took it in the 90s. I had a degree, but I wasn't really in the uh, mindset for reality, so I applied. I spent the next few months uh, finishing up a job that I had been working for six and a half years uh, doing deliveries. I actually stopped that in October of 2011. <laughs> I did my last, actually did my last night on, on a route in early October after moving to West Lafayette. I drove back down to West Lafayette. And the car that I was using was my mother's, uh, had been my mother's. Um, she still owed a few payments. She had nine payments to go on it. Long story, it was a, a Toyota Camry. She had, um, taken out a note on it and anyways um they wouldn't transfer the license or wouldn't transfer the registration to my name without paying off the balance and i didn't have the money at the time to do that so uh i had an expired license plate is uh, expired for like two or three weeks at that point anyway um so i stopped making payments on the vehicle because it didn't make any difference and they came and repossessed it <laughs> In October that year, and the only reason why I'm going through all this is just because it, you know, it goes to show that you know life experiences kind of stick with you. I just, uh, I just moved into a small place, a really small place. I stayed there for a period of four years, and so that first hot, that uh, first, uh, um, first uh, year was uh, interesting, or first. Uh, period after her passing was interesting because I I did get back into Purdue, believe it or not. Um, I attended that, that uh, spring, but during that fall, I even tried to find another job. I, I wanted to work at, I worked at the Purdue Memorial Union for a few weeks. Um, let's just say it, was, it wasn't so much the job or the work of the job. It, it, there was just something about it that, you know, just at that time, I said, I can't, I can't see myself doing this further. It wasn't even really, wasn't, like I said, it was actually, I was working at a, a Chinese, uh, uh, Chinese, uh, food place, food court place. Uh, so I was dealing with General Sal's chicken and all those other kind of stuff. Anyways, long, that wasn't there for very long, but I, 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 one of my adventures at that particular moment was I, I had, had a visit or I went to a, a restaurant called Poppy's and I had stopped in a few times over a course of weeks or whatever as I was getting ready for uh, the, the spring semester. But anyway, there was a, a girl who worked the register there and she would be nice and happy, blah, blah, blah. You know, good, you know, was a decent person, seemed like a decent person. Talked to her. She, for whatever reason, she was engaging for whatever reason to me, but. Uh, or for me, and then when I, had, I started working at the Chinese place, I, I happened to run across or ran into her as you know there was like a place in the back where you 
everybody got ready to go to go to their particular shifts. And when she saw that I was back there getting ready, after that she no longer would even talk to me when I stopped in, or or if I ran, you know, came into Poppy's like you know, a week or so later, she'd act like you know like she didn't even had any prior conversation with me. And that kind of tells you how people are in some cases. I mean, I didn't take it personally. I'm only mentioning it because you never really know what people are about and, and what they're, uh, where they are and how they judge or, or not judge you, but, you know, um, see you as a person. So, uh, anyways, uh, my mother's uh, passing and, and then that first holiday was kind of difficult because I'd left a lot of things behind. I'd left um, uh, my mother and was living with her aunt. And, you know, they, my aunt, uh, her sister, um, and they shared a house, but their house was in foreclosure. It would, there was a lot of, there was just a lot of conflict going on. But my mother was, uh, was the, the rock of Gibraltar in our, our, our family. She was the one who kind of, held everything together or certainly was the thing that the foundation when she was gone, um, that, that, uh, family, the last little bit of family kind of disappeared. I haven't seen my aunt since that time period. Uh, I have seen my father and, you know, I've seen him once in 35 years, 37 years. I can't even count now. It's been, yeah, once since 1983. So long time. Um, and nothing, nothing bad about that. I've resolved my issues with that, but it, you know, the holidays in the mid December and the change in the, the way this country is and lots of things kind of come to mind. So I'll leave it there. Um, I didn't mean to bring you down, but, uh, I keep fighting in the struggle, um, that we are experiencing at this moment for those that are. Um, able to, they should always uh, look for something happy, um, something that engages them, you know, whether it be the walks or nature or digging into books or find some creative adventure, you know, building something. Um, if you got a hobby like, you know, woodworking or painting or uh, like actual painting, writing, discussing doing podcasts i think those things are important to, to try to do at this time the philosophy is, is to to create something something lasting or meaningful or, or certainly something that will engage other people and um give them a um give them an idea who you are because in the end uh, uh the the way this uh, world will work better or can work is that we each uh, should try to work hard to um, provide for others our thoughts, our desires, our insights, uh, what what makes the world work. Um, and it's worked for many people around the world, even during the harshest of times, during the wars and during the, the conflicts that have been foisted on people mainly from our elitist class who don't seem to understand and or rather don't care to understand what it is to be just like everybody else um they're despicable 
so they they don't they don't they they can't understand they can't actually access what it is to be truly human and uh, flawed, and, and they don't they can't accept that. So I hope everybody has a uh, good day going forward. God bless the United States of America, and God save the world.